Hello, and thanks for joining us for the August 2017 episode of the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast from the Institute for Research on Poverty at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Dave Chancellor. Julie Palmentinen is a professor of human ecology here at the University of Wisconsin and also runs the blog Kids with Incarcerated Parents. In some of her earlier research, Palmentinen had found that although children with an incarcerated parent generally had much worse outcomes than other kids, a subset of these children seemed to be coping with it and doing okay. And a key area of this variation appeared to involve the kids' attachment behaviors. So at the end of April this year, I was able to talk with Palmentinen about a new study she just published in what she and her team focused on the attachment behaviors of children who have an incarcerated parent, and one focus of the study was on the relationship between a child and his or her caregiver. The caregivers play an extremely important role in the children's lives. They're the person who cares for the child on a day-to-day basis. Um, we know that they're the ones responsible for the child's well-being, they make decisions about the child, get them to daycare or school, etc. And unfortunately, not very many studies focus on that role. And also, there are hardly any intervention programs for um, the caregivers, even though we know from prior research that they're under a lot of stress. Usually, they're challenged by a decrease in family finances when a parent is incarcerated. They also um, aren't as connected to social programs as even the ones that they're eligible for, as you would think. And there's also stressors as well, because in order to maintain contact with the incarcerated parent, oftentimes the person needs to spend money on transportation to get to the corrections facility. Phone calls are relatively expensive, um, and it can be just really stressful to become sort of a single parent. Um, when a person's, you know, the da- the dad is incarcerated. Um, so there are many stressors, and other studies have also found there's more residential mobility, and the families are way more likely to be in poverty, living in poverty than other families. The study involved a series of observations designed to help Palmentinen and her team gain a better understanding of kids' attachment to their caregivers. One of the things that makes this study unique is that we actually went into the kids' homes and we talked to the caregivers, we observed the homes, we observed the interactions occurring between the uh, children and their caregivers, and we found that, indeed, like any other family in the United States, what's happening in the homes and with the caregivers is really highly predictive of how well the children are doing. And even if, for example, the child had changed caregivers because of the parents' incarceration, even in those cases, what's happening currently with the child in the home environment really matters. In addition, for some of the kids in the sample, Palmentinen and her team were able to observe their visits to the incarcerated parents. They used a measure called the Jail-Prison Observation Checklist, developed by Palmentinen, that was developed to capture children's attachment behaviors and emotions during a visit with their incarcerated parent in a jail or prison setting. And this isn't something that had been done before. There's been a lot of talk um, regarding children with incarcerated parents about, you know, some people say the children should visit because it's really important to build family relationships. And it's also good for incarcerated parents to have family visitation. We know from other studies that it's associated with reduced negative institutional behavior and reduced recidivism. And so many advocates 
say children should visit. And then on the other side, there are people who say, well, children shouldn't visit because it might be traumatic for them. Walking into a corrections facility, especially if they can't touch the parents or give them a hug or having to go through security procedures like metal detectors or frisking might be traumatic for children. And so we have to be really careful about uh, sort of re-traumatizing them. And so as a scientist, I went to the literature and thought, well, what does the research say about this, these recommendations? And what I found is really nothing. The only thing uh, scholars have looked at in the past is frequency of visitation between children and their incarcerated parents. And so I really wanted to get in there and see what was going on with the kids uh, how they were coping with the visits, what kind of emotions and behaviors they exhibited. And so um, we did a, basically a mixed method study to do this because there were no existing measures to be able to capture these things. So I developed a measure. It's called the Jail Prison Observation Checklist. And it was designed to capture children's attachment behaviors and emotions during a visit with their incarcerated parent in a jail or prison setting. Pilmentinen says that their observations in the jails highlighted the importance of the caregivers setting the tone for visits with the incarcerated parent. We noticed that children engaged in what we call heightened attachment behaviors, and that's when they want to stay in really close proximity to the caregiver. They want to hold their hand. They want to sit on their lap. They want to be really close and kind of get comfort from that caregiver. Um, and then we noticed that it was often caregivers who were engaging in some really positive behaviors that facilitated the child's connection with the parent during the visit. So, for example, they might say, um, show daddy what you just learned how to read or, or show daddy that song that you just learned or um, why don't you blow daddy a kiss or it's your turn to talk now. And they would do things that really facilitated the interaction in in the vast majority of cases, there were also some times where there was some inappropriate things going on where the caregiver and the incarcerated parent were having some conflict right in front of the child during the visit or where the caregiver didn't want to participate at all. Um, but for the most part, it was supportive. But the really interesting thing is, is that children had sort of the best visit experience, so the most positive affect and behavior and the least negative affect and behavior when the child was securely attached to the caregiver as measured in the home environment. And I think that really speaks to the powerful role that the caregiver has, that they can really help children feel comfortable and assuage their anxiety, especially when they have a secure relationship with each other. And that can really facilitate the positive family connections that can happen during a visit. Palmentine and her colleagues were also able to observe whether there were behavioral differences by the type of visit. And she says that a recent survey of corrections facilities shows that in most prisons, the visits occur face-to-face, -face, what's called a contact visit. Meanwhile, in jails, which hold a much larger portion of incarcerated individuals in the United States, contact visits are rare. Face-to-face -face contact visits are almost unheard of. They're almost always what we call non-contact visits, and this could include a visit behind a plexiglass barrier where a child and family walk in and they see the parent behind glass and they can hear the parent when they pick up a little phone, um, handheld, uh, old-fashioned looking phone, or it can occur through video. And the video 
can either be in the jail setting, so the family walks into the lobbies, you know, and initiates a visit through a video monitor, or it can even be done in the child's home. Now, doing the video visits in the child's home is, is sort of a brand new technology, and we didn't cover it in this study because the jails that we partnered with didn't have that available as yet. But what we were able to do is to compare the contact visits and the video visits with plexiglass or barrier non-contact visitation. And so, um, as I mentioned, it's the first study where we were able to actually go in and observe how children were handling these kinds of visits. And so we rated kids' behaviors um, and their emotions from the time they walked into the corrections facility, went through security procedures, waited, and then had the actual visit. And what we ended up finding is that the children who had barrier visits, so plexiglass visits, were more likely to engage in negative behaviors. So they were more likely to show distress um, or anger. Um, and this oftentimes was directed at their caregiver who brought them. Um, another interesting thing that we found, and this did not differ across type of visits, was that the most common behaviors and emotions that children showed uh, was happiness and loving uh, behavior toward the incarcerated parent. And so, you know, in addition to visits being potentially stressful for children, we also know that they are really good times for children to connect with incarcerated parents. And there's a lot of loving, happy interactions that take place. Palmentinen says that people sometimes forget that much of the incarceration in the U.S. is at the jail level and not the prison level. This study looked at children whose fathers were in jail, and Palmentine says that one of the distinctions between jail and prison that may matter for kids with incarcerated parents is the length of stay. The majority of prison sentences, like 97% of them, are more than a year. Um, it's usually for felonies, and the average stay is several years. But at the jail level, what we experienced in 2015 is 10.9 million admissions to jail. And that's not necessarily unique individuals because what we're often seeing at the jail level is people cycling in and out of jails um, or churning through the criminal justice system is another way of putting it. And when you're thinking about children whose parents are incarcerated, the majority of the literature is focused on children of imprisoned parents. And a while ago, scholars were thinking that Perhaps parental incarceration in jail wasn't as significant because it was briefer and perhaps didn't have as extreme of an effect on children. But now we know, partly because of the cycling, that a jail incarceration could involve multiple short incarcerations of a parent in a brief amount of time. And that can have effects on child development as well. So in this particular sample, I focused on young children whose fathers were in jail as opposed to prison. And we did find that the majority of them had spent prior time in jail. And uh, we are currently looking at how many of them had even experienced incarceration jail just in the past year prior to that incarceration. And it's quite a few. It's a, it is fitting with that cycling in and out of jail narrative um, and it's not so much just about the current jail incarceration. It's also about these recent ones as well that children are experiencing. 
Palmentine and her team also looked at other factors to try to understand what might lead to differences in attachment behaviors. One of the things they identified is whether a kid had witnessed either their parents' crime or arrest. About one-fourth of children had witnessed the parents' crime, and you know, significant number of kids were pretty distressed about it. But even more concerning, I think, is that one-fifth of kids witnessed the parents' arrest. And that was extremely distressing in the majority of cases. And we also collected narratives from the caregivers about what was happening, you know, how were the children exposed to um, that arrest and what did they witness. And we found that in many cases it was actually pretty traumatic. So some arrests occurred at pre-dawn in the home and that's a guess a good time to find people in their beds and so their home but sometimes it was done very suddenly so children were woken up in the in the middle of sleep um, sometimes they were sat on the couch where the parents were marched in front of them in handcuffs uh, other times these arrests occurred while the family was outside of the home For example, they were driving with the children in the car and pulled over for a routine traffic stop. And then the officer pulled up on their computer that maybe the the parent had unpaid child support enough to be arrested or, you know, had committed another crime or um, there was a warrant out for their arrest. And so they proceeded to arrest the parent um, while asking the children to just wait on the curb. Little children, we're talking about two to six years old, unsupervised, just sitting on the curb of a busy street while the arrest was taking place. And many of the children were reported as crying, saying, why are you taking my daddy? Where are you going? And just being very, very upset about it. Pilmentinen says this is really unfortunate because there are now protocols and procedures that have been developed for safeguarding children during the arrest of a parent. And these protocols were developed by the International Chiefs of Police. So police officers and others. So it's not like some researcher like me saying this is what you should do. It's actually have have been developed by the law enforcement community saying that these are some ways that we can protect children from uh, some of these potentially traumatic experiences around having a parent be arrested. And I would say that there are probably some situations in which even if law enforcement was following the protocols and doing the best of their ability that, you know, children can witness traumatic things. But in other cases, especially when it's just a pretty low-level misdemeanor or even if it's for unpaid tickets or unpaid child support, there are so many better ways of handling it that can protect children from witnessing the arrest of a parent. We did find that children who arrested... We did find that children who witnessed the arrest or crime of the parent and felt uh, distressed about it or exhibited distress about it, they were more likely to have insecure attachments to their caregivers. And we don't know the causal direction of that. You know, we the study isn't experimental. We certainly can't, for many ethical reasons, um, do that as an experimental design. But um, it could be that caregivers who are fostering insecure attachments with their kids are just letting the kids be exposed to more kinds of things and they have fewer boundaries. Or it could be that Um, These traumatic experiences um, increase kids' anxiety so much that it's hard for caregivers to assuage that, and so they could end up being more insecure 
um, during, you know, when we assess them in the home environment. Professor Palmentinen says the study suggests a few key takeaways for how we think about addressing the needs of children who have an incarcerated parent, including understanding the importance of the caregiver role. One that I think is really important is the implications for how we help families stay connected to incarcerated individuals when there are young children in the family. And it seems to me that anyone who says children, all children should visit or children should never visit because it's traumatic, the truth is really somewhere in the middle. I think for the vast majority of children, there were positives and stressors during these visits. And so much of it relied um, on the role of the caregiver that that ends up being an important role. So I think caregivers should be empowered to know that they are really important um, in facilitating this and also be open-minded knowing that there can be some really positive things going on in the visits and that can be important for both children and incarcerated parents. A second takeaway I think has to do with really thinking about how law enforcement is interacting with children and families when a parent is being arrested, and that really deserves a, a kind of strong look because we have these protocols in place, and why aren't they be, being followed? There's free training online. There's webinars on .gov websites really showing that these protocols can be put in place, and I think that would be really important to protect young children because a trauma like seeing a parent arrested, especially in a, a really shocking or um, aggressive manner, can be you know, have lasting effects. Um, and then, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say that you know it's just tragic how many children are affected by parental incarceration, and that compared to any other country in the world, we have more people incarcerated, higher rates of incarceration, and longer sentences. And it really, other countries who are experimenting with alternatives to incarceration, like um, in Denmark, they've done these policy shocks where they um, have alternatives to incarceration in place. We find better outcomes for children. And so I also strongly encourage people, instead of doubling down on mass incarceration, to really explore the idea of, of how do we move beyond mass incarceration. Thanks to Julie Palmentinen for sharing this work with us. To learn more, check out kidswithincarceratedparents.com, and you can also find her on Twitter. This podcast was supported as part of a grant from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Office of the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation, but its contents don't necessarily represent the opinions or policies of that office or the Institute for Research on Poverty. To catch new episodes of the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. You can also find all of our past episodes on the Institute for Research on Poverty website. Thanks for listening.